from the ABA Annual Meeting 2018 in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Lee Rawls from the ABA Journal. I'm Ann Chandler, Maria Walgen, and Kimi Jackson. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us for On the Road. It's a pleasure to be here. Today we're talking with the panelists from Families on the Precipice, Navigating the Separation, Detention, and Reunification of Families at the U.S. Border. And I'd like to introduce our listeners to all three of our guests. Anne, could you start? What is it that you do? Yes, so I'm the Executive Director of the Houston Office of the Tahereh Justice Center. At the Tahereh Justice Center, we protect immigrant women and girls who are fleeing gender-based violence. And we do that mostly through direct representation, advocacy, and outreach and trainings. And Maria? Yes, I'm the executive director of the Young Center for Immigrant Children's Rights. We're based at the University of Chicago. And our job is um, similar. We get appointed as child advocate, and that's similar to a guardian ad litem for children in state court proceedings, except that we are advocating for the best interests of immigrant children, unaccompanied immigrant children and separated children. And Kimmy Jackson. I'm the director of ProBar. That's the South Texas Pro Bono Asylum Representation Project. ProBar is a project of the American Bar Association's Commission on Immigration, and we're located in Harlingen, Texas, which is where Texas, Mexico, and uh, the Gulf of Mexico meet. We provide legal services for detained immigrant adults and children who are in removal proceedings. Now, all three of you have been doing this work for a long time, but many of us in the public really started paying attention within the last few months. And during the panel, the family separation crisis was referenced as a manufactured crisis. And can you speak to this? What made this suddenly blow up in the news and in our national attention? What was the factor that uh, brought the family separation and immigration crisis to the to the forefront. Right. I, I think we call it, um, at least personally, I call this a manufactured crisis really for two reasons. Number one, you know, the administration talks about this as if something they had no choice but to implement. And it's happening at a time where there is apps, our border is not being overrun by, you know, cartels or undocumented immigrants or individuals seeking refugee. In fact, the flow of of individuals coming over the border saying, I am afraid, is really historically not at all at high numbers. And in fact, less than it was in the year 2000 and 2006. And so on that sense, there's kind of this manufactured fear without really facts to support that. And then second, the whole structure of this idea that we are going to rip parents from their children without any finding of abuse or neglect and put children into a system that is completely not fit for them without any foresight or structures of how they're going to be reunified at one point created such chaos in the system that we have manufactured a crisis causing incredible pain and trauma to both the parents and the children. And Kimmy, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about this chaos because one thing I found striking during the panel was uh, you discussed how there was not notice really given out officially at first that this is what was happening. Can you talk about what you are seeing 
on the ground in South Texas, you and your staff? Sure. Probar provides services to the detained unaccompanied minors, and that means that we go into the shelters that are operated by the Office of Refugee Resettlement, where unaccompanied minors are detained. And our job is to provide legal services presentations and individual screenings to those children and then make decisions about how to best proceed in each child's case. So we're used to working with children who've suffered a lot of trauma in their life, maybe trauma in their home country, trauma during the journey, and our staff is very experienced at working with that. But what we found was that we were in a completely different situation because the children who'd been separated were right in the middle of a very severe trauma that had just been perpetrated against them, that of being separated from the parent. And the level of trauma was so high that it was really difficult for our staff to complete the legal screenings that we needed to provide. And, and we had to adjust our services and find new ways to work with this population that was experiencing so much trauma. And Maria, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about mm -hmm. the, the child population. Now, when you as child advocates are trying to uh, help child clients, what are you used to being the, the common issues that you need to deal with? And, and has that changed in the last few months? What, what's been the effect that you have seen? Well, we have always served as child advocate primarily for unaccompanied immigrant children. We've always had cases here and there of children who've been separated from their families. Um, but in the past, when children were separated from their families, there was a very specific reason for that. But over the last few months, we've been referred many, many cases of separated children because these children are in very difficult circumstances. So we only serve as advocate for the most complex of the complex cases. And, but the issue here is that most of the separated children's cases are considered very complex. So we've been asked to be child advocate for very young children. And I would also add that um, given what's happening with the parental and child separations, many of the children have been very, very young, unlike um, the typical population of unaccompanied children, where most of the kids are teenagers. Of course, we've always seen children younger, eight years old, five years old. But when you see a two-year-old crossing the border, um, it's typically because they came with someone who is not their parent. So the population is different. And, and so we have had to focus a lot of our energy at the Young Center on serving as child advocate for the separated children. And Anne, could we talk a little bit about the legal basis for both um, asylum claims and these children. Uh, what are the common legal issues that you are confronting as you attempt to help both the children and the parents who have crossed during this time period? Thanks for that question. I, I mean, I think one on the parents' lens, they have been put into a process, a legal structure that favors quick adjudication and deportation. And so uh, the way an individual gets out of that is they're able to articulate and pass screenings to prove that they're a bona fide asylum seeker. And our asylum definition right now, kind of under Jeff Sessions' idea of what zero tolerance looks like, is we've seen the administration really narrowing the grounds upon which somebody can win an asylum case. So the asylum law has always been tr very difficult when it comes to individuals who are fleeing for their life. You have to explain that the reason why they're doing to fits inside of these very narrow boxes. 
right? And so it has been one of trying to support individuals being able to stabilize their life and get to the point of trying to present an entire case to an immigration judge without immediate deportation. Children, on the other hand, in these cases that have been rendered unaccompanied are on a much slower pace. And there's a few more legal grounds which a child can call upon to be safe and live here in security and not be deported. Now, this title of the panel was Families on the Precipice. And Maria, you did uh, talk a little bit about this during the panel. Families are not just biological parents and children, and the conditions that led many of these people to flee with very young children could perhaps have been, you know, the parents were murdered, or, you know, this may not be a direct parent-child relationship. And how do you, as a child advocate, address this when you're trying to figure out what is the best interest of this child, and how do we make sure this child is, is cared for and best served in the legal process? Those are very, very complicated cases. Oftentimes it's an informal adoption, and we have informal adoptions here in this country. I may have trouble taking care of my kids, so I may ask my sister to take in my son. Um, And this happens in home country. It could be a parent who cannot take care of their child, and they may ask a best friend to raise their child. And it's all fine until the, that adult and their child cross a border. And then if they cannot prove that they're a parent, that child will be separated. Our advocacy is, first of all, doing an investigation to figure out, to find that biological parent, to find out what happened, to ensure that that biological parent um, wanted this person to raise her child. And, and when that's the case, we advocate really strenuously that that child and, and parent, that putative parent, be reunified. Um, oftentimes, those children have lived with those adults for years, 18 months, three years, and the children, that's their parent, um, even though they may not have gone through a legal process in their home country. So our work is primarily doing the investigation to make sure... It's what the parent wants, that it's in the best interest of the child, and then advocating with the government to release that child to to that putative parent. Now let's talk about the government's responsibilities here. You and I are talking on August 4th at the ABA annual meeting, and a decision was just sent down on a case that the ACLU brought. Kimmy, what had the government stance been with regard to reunifying parents and and children, particularly parents who had already been deported. And um, could you talk a little bit about this case? The government has said that it should be the job of the nonprofit organizations to reunify these families. These when the in cases where the parent has already been deported but the the child is still here and so it's it's the government who has separated the family and then has deported the parent uh, leaving the child here but but they're saying that it should it should be the nonprofits that take care of the reunification and that's just not that's not right fortunately the nonprofits are doing everything that can be done to try and get these families back together as quickly as possible but um, it's it's a very sad situation and in fact, Maria, you mentioned the case of a 14-month-old boy. Could you talk a little bit about his situation and how you're advocating for him? Sure. So he was separated from his mother um, at the border. He was just one year old when he was taken from his mother, and he was placed in a, an ORR facility. And it was 
obviously really traumatic for that child. Um, at that age, a one-year-old is aware of what's happened, but doesn't understand why it's happened. And so our job in that case was finding the parent, because the government wasn't doing anything to find that parent, um, and then do all of the logistical, take all of the logistical steps to uh, make sure that that child could be reunified with that parent. And I think it's important to know the children, these kids are all, even a one-year-old is in removal proceedings. And that means that they have to go before an immigration judge and request voluntary departure. An attorney needs to request voluntary departure on behalf of that child. So part of what we do in um, partnership with the attorneys is make sure that that child's case can get before a judge to receive that voluntary departure order so that that child can then be reunified with the parent. And there are lots of other just really practical steps that we take in these cases, making sure that the child is accompanied by someone that child knows. They've been in a shelter care facility. They've been cared for by someone. Um, so let's have that person uh, fly that child back to home country and not have a complete stranger, an ICE officer, um, or a DHS officer return with that country, which again could be even more traumatizing for that child. And then we would also make sure that um, to the extent possible that we identify some services for the family back in home country. Do We do research, we have social workers who will do research on that part of the country because that child's been traumatized, that, that mother's been terribly traumatized. They may need help adapting once they're back and just recovering from the trauma that they experienced in that separation. And Kimmy, we are here at the ABA annual meeting um, and as the director of an ABA affiliated project, can you tell us a little bit about what the association itself is doing? And then I'd like to ask all three of you, um, for any of our listeners who want to become involved and, and help do work, what the possibilities for that are. So Kimmy, could you talk a little bit about what the ABA is doing? We were very fortunate that ABA President Hillary Bass came to Harlingen, Texas, shortly after the family separation crisis began. And uh, I had the pleasure of accompanying her to see um, one of the federal prosecutions where they were prosecuting parents and uh, also visiting with separated mothers at the Port Isabel Detention Center. So she came and gained that firsthand knowledge and was able to bring that knowledge back to the ABA and all of the other folks with whom the ABA networks. And um, the ABA has been very active in helping us gain support of volunteer attorneys who can come and help with this crisis. So we had a lot of volunteer attorneys come and help us every week since this crisis has begun. And um, in fact, we've had more offers than we've been able to accommodate. But that's a good thing because this need is ongoing and will be lasting for a while. And so we are hoping and planning to be able to continue to mobilize those pro bono resources for the months to come. And talking about immediate versus long-term need, and you had some wisdom to share about this. I, I believe that there, it's not just these families who were separated in the last few months, there is a, a deep and ongoing need. Could you talk about um, what lawyers who maybe are not Spanish-speaking immigration lawyers, what can you still do if you are an attorney who wants to help? This is part of the good news is we've got work for you. <laughs> you know, the ongoing need, you know, the, while these are civil proceedings, 
neither the parent nor the child is given a free attorney. So it is incumbent on volunteer attorneys to step forward and say, even if the families are reunified, they are still facing deportation to a place where they fear that where real life consequences of rape, of killing is, is, feels very much around the corner. And so volunteer attorneys who want to step in and be counsel on these cases before immigration judges is needed now more than ever. And so, you know, if you go to the ABA site with a, with a few little clicks, you're going to find organizations such as Tahere Justice Center, Kids in Need of Defense, and other organizations that will immediately plug you into representing a family unit before their case. And so I would recommend individuals do so. And the address of that site is ambar.org slash immigrant child, one word. And if anyone wanted to reach you directly to speak about what your three organizations are doing, Kimmy, can we start with you and ProBar? How can someone find out more information about ProBar? Yes, ProBar has a page on the American Bar Association's website, which is AmericanBar.org slash ProBar, P-R-O-B-A-R. We invite you to visit the page. In addition, I want to mention that ProBar has multiple attorney vacancies at this time. We've been fortunate to receive additional funding so that we can hire more staff to assist us with this crisis and our ongoing work. And we have vacancies for staff attorneys, supervising attorneys, and a legal director. And those positions can be found on the American Bar Association website in the careers section, search for jobs in Texas. And Maria, you're Chicago-based. Uh, how can people reach reach you? The best way to reach us is through our website, which is theyoungcenter.org, and, or um, send an email to info at theyoungcenter.org. And we would recommend in terms of what people can do is learn, learn about the situation happening right now. But I do think that most of the kids will be reunified with their parents. Um, And so I think people should really focus on the unaccompanied kids who we've all been serving for decades. Um, Those children are still in custody and they're in all likelihood will be policies um, coming quite soon that will impact unaccompanied children. So I would urge people to stay informed, to look for information about those policies, and to advocate wherever they can on those policies. And lastly, I'll say that in most places in the country, there are nonprofits that are either providing legal services or providing other um, help for immigrants and immigrant families. And so I would urge people to contact those organizations and see what they need. Just ask what they need. And can you uh, add anything else and tell people how to contact you? You bet. So um, Tahrey Justice Center has offices in five different cities, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, San Francisco, Bay Area, and Houston. And so we have a pro bono legal network and work with hundreds of volunteer attorneys every day. So I recommend people just go to www.tahrey.org and sign up to be uh, learn about how to be a free attorney for these families as well as unaccompanied children who had not been separated but still desperately need an attorney to help them with that court process. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us today. We also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. 
If you like what you heard today, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.